0: My friends, the Great Experiment, the greatest trek, trek, trek. Hit it, trek, trek. Would you look at that? The greatest trek, trek.
1: Mm-hmm. You people, you're all astronauts on some kind
0: of star trek, trek. The greatest trek, 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 trek. Welcome to Greatest Trek Pilot Season. It's a new Star Trek podcast for the makers of the Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison.
2: I'm Adam Pranica.
0: Back in the warm embrace of Gene Roddenberry this time.
2: Bet that guy was a hugger. <laughs> <laughs> guy who hugs around the office. You know the kind. Mm.
0: I've always wanted to be hugged by a great big bird.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I bet those wings wrap around you twice yeah. most times. But I
0: wanted to be hugged by a great big bird that had Carol Spinney inside of it, not.
2: Hmm. Yeah.
0: You know, that one that's flapping around the galaxy willy nilly. I
2: mean, The Big Bird hug hugs with wings and also neck. Yeah. Like kind of a boa constrictor hug. Yeah. Are you saying you wanted to die in Big Bird's arms tonight?
0: Yeah. (laughs) It must have been something he said. A Big Bird hug has got to be kind of unsatisfying though because one of the arms is an arm and the other is just a floppy thing on a stick, right? Or it's not. It's just like, it's just resting on Big Bird's belly, right? The thing about hugs is...
2: Like I'm not often using my birdie to feel around the other person's birdie. So, like, what you're describing and hugging Big Bird, like I'm not, I'm not hugging long enough.
0: Oh, to get those sensations. I learned all of my hugging technique from Gene Roddenberry, and so I do feel around. <laughs> so, you're blindfolded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it makes it that much more exciting.
2: I'm glad you brought. Gene Roddenberry up, the great bird of the galaxy or whatever, because I did a little research about today's pilot episode, in case you have not been reading your podcast player, Earth Final Conflict, <laughs> it's pilot episode is what we're going to discuss today. It seems like these materials were just in a stack of papers on Gene's desk, and then after he died, his widow uh, found him. Yeah. And was a... A great influence on
0: this show getting made. I mean, she's got a interestingly like credited two different ways in the in the Mm -hmm. episode. But her production credit is as Majel Roddenberry, and her acting credit is as Majel Barrett. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, the uh, uh, this was made after, well, after his passing. So, but still concurrently with some Star Trek stuff happening. So, yeah, interesting history to this one. Did you remember this being on your television ever? I don't remember this one. Like I remember the other other Gene Roddenberry mm-hmm. show, Andromeda, being on TV. Yeah, yeah. Was this was this like a a deep cable? This was one of those first run syndication shows,
2: so it, it could be on any number of networks. Oh, city interesting. To city.
0: Yeah. So I wonder if it was even on in my area. Yeah. Uh, for those of us who grew up watching. Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation on Channel 44, KBHK. Write in, let me know. Was this Was this also on Channel 44? Or is this on some other shit?
2: This was on my Fox station. Okay. As I recall. Yeah.
0: Man, it's been re-shown daily on Bravo. <laughs> so it's shared a network with uh, all of my favorite Real Housewives franchises. There
2: are some aspects to this show that one could see as fabulous <laughs> yeah i kind of see uh, a few of these characters that way man what do you say we get into this one i'm i'm down so much to talk about in the uh, very bright very purple very <laughs> first episode of earth final conflict <laughs> season 1 episode 1 it's called Decision
1: You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown the new era for humankind
0: unknown. So we start panning around some Midwestern city This uh, I think was, it was supposed to be Ohio But I don't know if they ever said which city in Ohio I mean many parts of Toronto are substituted for Ohio
2: Yeah In modern production Right Yeah, hard to know if that was the case back in 1997 when this show was made,
0: we kind of meet our main character right off the bat, and uh, he's this guy named Captain Boone. He's a police captain. He's been brought in to run security for the Two Worlds Together party. He seems like a really a real believer in delegation because he's arrived at this party to find that none of the things that he asked for security wise have been done. There's there are no like anti sniper measures taken there's no bulletproof glass it's just a big old crowd of people and a stage for someone important a companion to stand on and we you know we hear a little bit about the dc office and the companion before we really know what's going on
2: you rarely ever see city party you mm-hmm. know o- outside of a like celebration of a winning sports team context right so it was really unusual that this was like a, the appearance of a big business billionaire <laughs> and the landing of an alien spacecraft in front of 200 people, maybe. I th- feel like you and I know exactly what 200 people look like.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we we know what like just shy of 200 people look like specifically.
2: <laughs> and this is that.
0: Yeah, like definitely in the script, a lot of commentary on like, can you believe the size of this crowd? And it's like, I don't know, is this a really big crowd for Toledo or wherever this is supposed to be taking place? You're right.
2: The visual totally confuses the significance of this moment, because if this is truly a I've never seen an alien spaceship before or an alien and you get only 200 people to show up to this party, (laughs) I think you failed as a marketer. Yeah, you failed in your message somehow.
0: They needed to do a little bit more uh paid promotion on Insta, I think, you know. They needed a
2: a a Shenyun kind of budget here. <laughs> <laughs> and they they've got like to on like hmm. mid dance twirl across the, the middle of the of the sign. That'd be great. Yeah.
0: They have a Shenyun aspiration on a Nexium budget. That's they the really problem.
2: do. Yeah. So,
0: uh, yeah, there's also this FBI guy there.
1: Ronald Sandoval, attaché to the American Companion.
0: We're talking to the mayor and Captain Boone and this FBI guy. And the FBI goes, like, everything is like the way they wanted it in D.C. And, uh, you know, they hired you because they know you're good. And he's like, well, I can't be good if you don't do the security the way I said you should do it. And we noticed some weird stuff about this FBI guy. He's got like a weird wristwatch made out of meat
2: a David Cronenberg friendship bracelet
0: (laughs) is what it looks like. It really does.
2: Imagine going to school with that guy. Uh, Everyone's doing the like braids of thread and he's like, "Uh, these these are pieces of my retainer.
0: He he comes up and asks you if you want to do his cootie catcher and when he opens it up, it's all just meat in there. (laughs) And you're like, oh, come on. (laughs) Oh, bad luck. He opens
2: up his lunchbox. And it's just awful <laughs> in there.
0: So, yeah, everybody's real excited for the big day. You know, like the band strikes up. I loved all the like <laughs> guys in the band like dropping their, their tubas and French horns off of their lips because they were in awe of this spaceship showing up.
2: I think what that says to you and me is this is not a professional band. These are weekenders. <laughs> this is like the National Guard of bands, you know? Right,
0: yeah. Like, the Marine Band is not is not dropping their horn for love or money. No, a
2: Marine Band would, would keep playing through sustained gunfire, you know? Yeah. Like, that's a professional outfit.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of an insectoid ship, and it lands, and a lady with, like, a page boy haircut opens the door, and everybody's like, whoa! And I was like, I mean... The ship was cool. There's nothing remarkable about her per se. And then.
2: <laughs> I mean, was what was remarkable that she was a human flying an alien
0: ship? Yeah, maybe. But, but I think that the problem was like when she opens the thing that she is clearly alone on the craft. So yeah. when it, when it cuts back to everybody reacting, it's like, uh, <laughs> you've seen a, a human woman before, right? <laughs> I mean, this is the react you want right. when
2: that hatch opens and you're heard.
0: Yeah, she's like, I am fucking killing it right now. I knew that my hair looked good when I left the house this morning, but this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, maybe it's because this alien goes clear a little bit. Really? Really. That I didn't see it in the cockpit there because there's, there's this alien that's like a, a very tall... Awkwardly moving alien that's bald-headed with big ears and like no facial hair or anything, but humanoid. Mm -hmm. And it gets like, it gets a little see-through in moments. Hey,
2: Dion, why the long and see-through face? (laughs) We go right into theme after this reveal, and it's one of those storytelling themes, Ben, that I just love. I've grown to really enjoy this. If I'm only watching one episode... Give me the whole thing in the theme. William Boone's
1: life has been destroyed. A man caught between two worlds.
0: Assigned protector to the Companions. Undercover agent for the liberation. I know. This is amazing. I, I mean, this is now the vast majority of episodes we've watched in pilot season have one of these. The Here's what's going on in this show. And many of these things haven't even happened yet in this pilot episode. <laughs> I was so shocked that
2: we didn't get a dead wife cradled in boone's arms yell toward the sky in the credits <laughs> because it practically spells out his entire story.
0: It really does like it it kind of ruins the episode <laughs> to the extent that this episode was good enough to be ruined,
2: yeah <laughs> I mean the main thrust of the theme here is that William Boone is going to go through some shit.
0: Yeah. And here yeah. it is. This guy is stressed out for good reason.
2: Yeah. So after the theme, D'Anne gets a standing O for a landing that they didn't even do.
0: Yeah. And that's that's really got to be what, what pissed Lily off and yeah. forced her to, to take the political course that she did.
2: Couple things you need to know about D'Anne. D'Anne is really tall. Like... Over seven feet tall, probably. Yeah. And is expressive only in sensitive facial expressions. Yeah. And like does the slow blinks of someone who's also really incredibly drunk. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a quality to the way Da'an speaks that's also like mirrored to people who speak back to Da'an. It's sort of like baby talk, but for... Really sensitive alien people Like because Da'an speaks Very slowly yeah, Which makes you think Da'an is also Very intelligent and thoughtful And so everyone else Talks to Da'an As if they're really turning it over themselves In the thoughtfulness department
0: Darwin not talk to Da'an using words Darwin used body language I also just wanted to talk about the way Da'an expresses themself, mm-hmm. himself, himself, because they, they refer to Da'an as a him, but they also say like, yeah, there's no way we could possibly refer to a genderless alien. So we'll just have to use him. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great
2: baseline. 1997. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, if, so if we go back and forth between the two, it's because they're doing that.
0: I like the way Daon's English is unaccented, but very much seems translated from a kind of different mode mm-hmm. of thinking. Like mm-hmm. clearly Daan like speaks a language where you like, I don't know, put the predicate ahead of the subject in most sentence constructions or something, because every time Daon is is like conveying an idea, it's like, oh, like that was a weird way of saying that, but I do understand what Daan is saying.
2: Yeah, like their articulation of a thought is very distinct and efficient. Yeah. The exact opposite of what a podcast does, I find. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Don's podcast, uh, they did a few episodes, but it really didn't gain any any traction with an audience, so they kind of lost interest after a little while.
2: (laughs) I mean, how many ads can you put in an eight-minute show?
0: (laughs) And that eight-minute show only had like three sentences of actual content. Yeah. Yeah. The greatest trap is yet to come.
2: We cut away to a scene where a sniper is assembling a weapon, which I think gives some credence to Boone's gripe about the security measures in place here.
0: Yeah. And we're sort of just cutting back and forth from the days where Da'an is addressing this huge throng of 200 people. And the sniper getting ready and Boone walking around like with his head on a swivel, radioing up to other cops asking if they're seeing anything to be concerned about. And we learn from Da'an's speech that these aliens arrived, the Talon arrived a, a few years ago and have basically turned Earth into a paradise ever since. Like no child goes to bed hungry. They're helping with medical technology. They're, they're doing great stuff for the people of Earth.
2: When you were talking about how Da'an uh, chooses their words very carefully, and, and in most cases, accurately, I think it's really hilarious, unintentionally funny, that I believe Da'an's words were, every child goes to bed full. and that sounded very threatening every child on this planet will go to bed with a full stomach i hate going to bed having overeaten yeah
0: just in case don says you weren't sure the presence of my people among your people was an unalloyed good uh here's my friend a billionaire to confirm that for you and We meet Jonathan Doors, who is working actively with the Talon. I guess they sort of get called the Companions and the Talons kind of interchangeably. He's excited to be working with them and ushering in a new era. It's a joint venture between his company and the ETs. Maybe
2: this is the reason for the suppressed attendance here. Like, these, uh, these Talons have been here for three years already, but like, Who gives a shit what a billionaire
0: thinks? (laughs) Well, maybe this is Doors fucking himself over in that classic, like, thoughtless billionaire way where, like, there were 10,000 people in town that would have come to this thing, but they couldn't get time off work from Doors Industries.
2: (laughs) Yeah. As sick as they might have (laughs) been,
0: they're going in. Yeah. Nothing fucks with the bottom line for Jonathan Doors.
2: I mean, except maybe being shot in the back because this sniper gets one off from long distance and uh, takes him out.
0: I love the technology of the sniper. He's got like a computer that shows all the like airflow through Mm -hmm. the plaza, like, oh, like it's flowing around this building and the wind kind of cuts to the left right
2: there. It certainly does feel like a bit of digital graphics that are out of TNG, right? Yeah. Like these look like computer simulations that we'd see on an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Definitely. Like when a warp bubble expands, that's this. Mm.
0: (laughs) So yeah, uh, Doors heroically throws his body in front of Da'ans and takes the bullet and Boone is freaking out. He throws a smoke grenade as as like a smoke screen to prevent the sniper from getting any more accurate shots off. Which I loved, and I also loved that they could use the the laser cutting through the smoke to figure out where the shots are coming from.
2: I like that a lot. You know who's not freaking out or doing anything at all? Really, is Daan, who's just looking at everything, Yeah.
0: emotionless, expressionless, not ducking, not like trying to get to safety, and also there's like an, a medical emergency right in front of Da'an and like uh, Mangel Barrett plays this doctor who runs up on stage and she's like trying to administer life-saving medical procedures to Jonathan Doors. and there was a moment where it cut back to Da'an and I was like, is Da'an about to like ET this problem?
2: You're exactly right about that because they start glowing in the face again and I'm like, all right, well, here comes some magical powers.
0: Yeah, nope. Nothing. <laughs> So meanwhile, the shooter, like they know where it is. And the FBI guy shoots something from his wrist rocket, his cartilaginous wrist rocket at the window that the shooter had had been right behind. The shooter jumps right out the window. And I was like, oh man, what a corny jump out the window effect. You can see the rope. That's <laughs> so too, yeah. <laughs> but not, that rope was intentionally seen. Because this is Eddie and we don't know who Eddie is, but Boone does. And that is like the fact that Boone is surprised to see a person he knows is why he doesn't shoot this assassin. And Eddie is able to hop in his cool Mustang and drive away without Boone like radioing it in like, oh, he's in a late model Ford Mustang headed east on Toledo Street, you know? (laughs)
2: Everything about everyone's relationship to each other in this scene is confusing because if Eddie's plan was to leave through a window, Robert Sandoval does him a favor. Right. And so when Boone lets him leave also, it kind of feels like there's a strategic coordination to the thing. Like, wait, are Robert and Eddie doing this together? And why didn't Boone like after clearly knowing who this guy was, do anything to apprehend him. Yeah. Things got really muddy really fast for me.
0: Yeah, and like why did Eddie cut a perfect little hole in the window to shoot through only to then have the window get blown (laughs) out, which is what he wanted? That's such a great point. Cut a bigger hole. (laughs) You're going to be using it later. Yeah. (laughs) Back on the days, Jonathan Doors is dead as a doornail.
2: Mm. I liked it. I have no words.
0: We go back up to like the crime scene where the gun was set up and they, they're investigating that, you know, Boone is calling shots and saying like the, you know, the shooter must've been distracted by the fact that they missed their target. So hopefully that gives us a clue as to where they went. Uh, But the trail feels pretty cold and they go back to HQ and, Weirdly, Boone is, like, not mentioning the fact that he knows the shooter personally to anyone. Mm -hmm. And he tells his partner, like, I don't want anyone to know that we caught him when we caught him. And I don't want anybody to talk to him but me privately without you there. Make sure it happens. And his partner's like, gotcha, boss. No questions asked. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I mean, this guy seems to have the sort of hole where he could ask for and be granted a request like that fairly easily. He's got the corner office.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Boone gets hauled into a meeting with Daon, and the meeting is about a job offer. It's like, hey, uh, you did great today. I know that, like, a leading citizen of your society just took a bullet to the back defending my life when you were supposed to be the one doing security. But uh, we really like the cut of your jib and we want you to be a voice in helping our cultures like bond to each other.
2: For someone who was not expecting a job offer, he (laughs) has a pretty smooth turndown in the chamber ready to go, right? He really does.
0: Thank you. But... I am afraid I have to decline your offer.
2: I thought he did a great job here, letting him down easy.
0: You know, it's uh, very flattering, but my wife and I are getting ready to start a family. And uh, this it's just not a good time for for us. Yeah. I mean, the job also seems really
2: big. It seems like a, a change in lifestyle that you'd really have to think about before accepting, because it sounds like it is both running security and also being a voice for humanity at the same time
0: yeah it's a lot to put on one person's plate
2: you don't often see that on someone's resume like when they're applying for a communications and security job like like <laughs> i know i know you're gonna need someone working security who you know has been around a variety of different types of folks who can get on their level, whoever and wherever they are, in a real voice for humanity kind of way. That's me. (laughs) That's what you get when you hire me.
0: Right. But he's not taking the job. You know what it's sort of analogous to, what I think they're asking him, is to be kind of like the bouncer of the club. Like both the person keeping the peace, but also sort of the first person you meet on the way in.
2: Yeah, that is a great comparison. You're not hiring for bouncing, you're hiring for customer service.
0: Right, right. I feel like that helps me understand Boone's performance a little bit better because he's so flat all the way through this in the way that you kind of have to be as a bouncer. Like, maybe that's what they saw in him, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah, he's not to be flapped. Would you look at that?
0: We cut to some kind of weird theme restaurant and Eddie is in there drinking beers by himself and Lily, the pilot of that spaceship, shows up. (laughs) Can we talk
2: about the theme for this restaurant and really like the visual theme everywhere? (laughs) I feel like this is a production that could afford only purple gels. (laughs) Because that is everywhere. It's... It's the alien ships. It's this bar, which looks like it's attached to a Lucky Strike chain bowling alley. Like, <laughs> everything has that kind of look, you know?
0: Yeah. Everything looks like the background of a Twitch streamer's apartment. <laughs> it looks like the the weekly
2: Twitch show for uh, Minnesota Vikings fans. <laughs>
0: So Lily is there to advocate like maybe Boone is the guy Because like mm-hmm. they just stepped to him with this job offer And Eddie's like no fucking way man I was the best man in his wedding for God's sakes I won't do it They disagree but uh, we don't get a lot more resolution in this scene We're back to police HQ where Boone's beautiful wife has shown up and Don't like this He's high up in a, enough in the org chart that he's got his own office so he uh, he pulls the the door shut. Like, it's kind of weird to think of, right? Like, police captain is not, like, the main character of most shows. Like, I've, we've seen police lieutenant be the main character or police sergeant. But Constantly. Like, captain's the guy you're getting hauled in front of telling you that they need your shield and your piece because the mayor just chewed their ass out and now you're going to get it, right?
2: Yeah. This guy seems incapable of ass-chewing. Yeah. This guy's not a millennial at
0: all. what's his deal (laughs) Darwin less interested in Boone now that you mention it
2: Boone's wife thought it would be a good idea to go get coffee from somewhere besides HQ bring two cups of that coffee to her husband at the office
0: in the middle of like a day where, like, the news has got to just be about how, how fucked the situation is downtown, what with the high profile assassination of a billionaire in front of a crowd of dozens. You know,
2: what's not good for morale is, uh, is serving everyone else at HQ swill while your <laughs> wife is, is bringing in the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you're enjoying it privately behind closed doors. That doesn't seem right.
0: Oh, yeah. He pulls the little string on his Venetian blinds to close the windows so that people won't be jealous. Yeah. She is shocked by the news that the best man at their wedding, Eddie, was behind this assassination. She doesn't believe it. And then he tells her about the job offer, and she's like, what are you doing? You should That's so much money. We're trying to start a family. We can't do that on a policeman's salary. Not in this economy. This is a great performance
2: because the moment she realizes she's married to an anti-companion, I think it changes the whole marriage for her.
0: Yeah. He doesn't trust the companions, and he doesn't trust them because he doesn't know what's in it for them. They've done all these great things for everyone, but what are they getting out of it?
2: What a difficult way to move through the world. (laughs) Constantly suspicious of people's motivations. If you told me that Boone's police precinct was in Seattle, I would believe it. <laughs> Amazing. The scene ends with her giving him some character background in the form of a compliment. And this yeah. struck me as so suspicious at the time. <laughs> She's like, you know, that's what I love about you. You, you just always lists out five things that are meaningful <laughs> to him as, a, as like real important character work that you're never gonna see this first episode you're just gonna have to buy from her uh. and then the way she gets in her car to leave looks like a woman who is about to be t-boned by a semi truck in final <laughs> destination like you know how there's in final destination movies there's just a lingering shot that just feels like a second too long yeah that that really foreshadows something awful about to happen and that happens here.
0: Yeah. So she gets in her Volvo 240 sedan 1987 and cruises off. Loved seeing this car.
2: I love seeing the Porsche Speedster, which is a car that has a very specific nineties reputation.
0: Is that a Porsche? I I misclocked that as a Carmen Gia.
2: Pretty sure that was a Porsche.
0: Okay. It made more sense to me as a Carmen Gia, not for the like, like speeding up and ramming, but like, but the ramming specifically. Mm -hmm. Like, I I know that a Carmen Ghia is just a Volkswagen Bug with a different shell on it, Uh but like, I wouldn't want to ram a fancy Porsche. This guy does. I
2: love the direction the drivers given when the wife gets in the car and drives away. You see this guy in the drop top. I think he's up like he's doing tricep dips off of the seat he's like (laughs) pushing himself out of the top of the car and looking back at Boone with this crazy expression I gotta get a pump
0: that's it get it Boone you didn't notice this guy
2: (laughs) and then that he totally hauls ass out after his wife that's fine coffee's getting cold (laughs)
0: <laughs> Gotta go back upstairs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we get this totally unhinged scene where this guy is chasing her, and then he's got like a gadget on his dashboard. This is very Space Precinct this moment, huh? Catch up. It really was. It was the pilot for Space Precinct just kind of coming into this. Yeah. Yeah, he, he boops the button, and we don't even get to see an explosion. We see a fake explosion superimposed on the window glass of his car as he, like, laughs maniacally. That's good value, though, for the effect, yeah, right? like, cheapest car chase to explosion in television history right here in the pilot of Earth colon Final Conflict.
2: He is in a state of orgasmic bliss at the end of this scene.
0: Oh, he had a great time.
2: I've never seen anyone enjoy the death of a stranger more than this person.
0: <laughs> we smash cut to Boone looking down over the gravesite of his beloved Caitlin Barrett Boone. Got the name of Major Barrett in the wife character? <laughs> Maybe my favorite unintentional
2: moment of comedy here was the, the subtitle to the headstone, Ben. What does it say?
0: It says, my loving wife. Doesn't that... <laughs> 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 That's really reductive, isn't it?
2: (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I don't give a shit about the whole, like, my wife and also who is a person of her own value. Like, whatever. Whatever about that. But, like, you can't put that on a gravestone.
0: (laughs) What are you doing? In the D&D campaign I've been participating in for a little over a year, my character has a girlfriend and a couple of times has failed perception checks when he walked into a room that she was in with another man. (laughs) And so there's like a running gag where my character often talks about what a faithful and loving companion his girlfriend is. And uh, it's big fun, you know, That, that sounds like great fun for you, Ben. Yeah. I like it. It's nothing like my real life. I love how
2: this shot is blocked. Like there's just something about sad guy in a cemetery that if you're casting for Boone, he's got to have this gear because I think he's going to be like, based on the rest of this episode, he's going to spend a lot of time in the cemetery.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's where he likes to take his meetings. I had a question about a cut because this is kind of like cross fading shots, like medium wide close up on gravestone in the, in the cemetery. And then close-ups on like condolences cards that he's received, and then when you come out of those close-ups on the condolences cards, he's in his office and he's opening mail. So, so he's like, did people send the like sympathy cards to his office mail? Like <laughs> they didn't send them to his house. <laughs> you
2: know where's he more likely to be right now if he's grieving? Yeah. Definitely <laughs> back at work.
0: <laughs> So I was like, oh, because so this must be like a few months later or something. Does like,
2: Boone work for a billionaire or something? Like, he should I, get some time off after
0: a, a moment he should like get this. It's a bereavement time, but no, this is like that day or the next day. And one of the things that he opens is a photo of him and Eddie goofing around drinking beers. And there's like a post it on it that says, Keep an open mind.
2: Hey, Eddie. I'd give it a couple of weeks before you want to party with the newly single boon, right? <laughs> Didn't this read as an invite? Like knowing nothing else, this is the pilot yeah. episode. Ben, they seem familiar. Doesn't this seem like an invitation to hang out?
0: Yeah, let's get ripped, dude. I know, I know, we've had our differences. What with me murdering that guy yesterday. I know it's gonna make you feel better. <laughs> 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 Old Boone and Eddie back on the wagon. <laughs> Off the wagon? Who knows? We need to score a lot of black fast. We're licensed businessman.
2: I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to Eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product. Or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't wanna have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants.
0: It has been a long time coming that Podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality, and there's a ton of variety. We've got t shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size inclusive options. And uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at Podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look, why don't you?
1: Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly, incredibly fascinating.
0: Find us by searching for the word "secretly" in your podcast app
1: and at maximumfun.org. Well, there's a new ship. She's
2: got the right name. She's got the right name. Now, now you remember that, you hear? Now you remember.
0: Mayor Ruiz comes in. Classy by
2: her to give her condolences in person.
0: Yeah. I mean, she if she's chewing his ass out, it's over the phone. But uh, <laughs>
2: but also, give the work stuff a week, Mayor. Yeah. She's there to be like, hey, I tur- heard you turned down the job offer. from da- oh, and what's that about? If you think it's just me that thinks this decision's curious, you should know the president is hoping that you'll reconsider.
0: I love the idea that the president really cares about the career trajectory of a police captain from Toledo in this universe. This is really important to them?
2: Seems to be. If you could just give it some thought. There, There's that's some thought. Okay, how about a meeting now?
0: (laughs) (laughs) He agrees to go to D.C., and that's going to be on one of these buggy spaceships with Lily. And we mm-hmm. get to learn a little bit about how these things work because she is like some kind of hotshot pilot. She helped create the training program that trains human pilots how to use these things. And they do something called transdimensional travel mm-hmm. or interdimensional travel, I should say.
2: This is the high speed rail that has been uh, promised for decades. Yeah. Taking you from Toledo to DC in in moments.
0: Yeah. The demonstration of the operation of this thing is very minority report. There's lots of like big gesturing to the screen with your hands. Yeah. But man, for a show that Gene Roddenberry had fingerprints on, this is so much clunkier than even the saucer separating in the pilot of TNG in terms of like this is supposed to be, like, real future technology that we're seeing for the first time and, like, really getting a close look at. And, like, every time it cuts back to Boone, he's like, "Huh, oh, wow. Huh, cool. Oh, that felt crazy. Like, <laughs> so nonplussed. So just, like, going along for the ride of transwarp conduits or whatever.
2: <laughs> there's the idea in this world that there's a... Companion in every major city, I guess. And for some reason, Daan isn't from Ohio. He isn't Ohio's companion. He was just there for a meeting. So Daan and and Daan's ship is parked right next to the Lincoln Memorial, <laughs> and that's where Boone finds him.
0: Yeah, they land in a hangar bay and walk in, and Daan is sitting there. Watching Talon TV, which is just kind of a cloud of blinky lights in mm-hmm. front of him, them, turns off the TV and uh, greets Boone. And, you know, Boone has questions. Boone does not trust the Talons, wants to know what they're there for.
2: This is a crucial moment in any job interview, right? Like the job interview effectively ends. And then the interviewer is like, So, do you have any questions for me? Yeah. Please address me with your concerns. All right. And here's where Boone pops off with his questions. Like like imagine sitting for a job interview and, and that
0: moment comes for you and you're like, So why is your company even here? So are you also capable of feeling grief as I do?
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how on has non-answers to both of these questions.
0: Yeah, the um real question being why'd you come to earth and so like there is some kind of vaguely described evolutionary hump that humanity is on the verge of and talons don't do it or aren't expected to do it but they're very curious about it and want to learn from humans as they go through it so they're like well we can help them out by sharing all of our super advanced technology and we'll hang out and watch as the dawn of a new human era takes place, but what it means is not something that anyone has gone into any specifics about. And it doesn't seem like that satisfactory to Boone either. Like he is, he's still really not sold on this job and it actually takes the FBI guy Sandoval to kind of seal the deal. Cause Sandoval's like, also, They put this virus slash chip in your head, and it gives you special mental acuity. You heard about it in the uh, opening credits of this episode, (laughs) but uh, I'll I'll tell you a little bit more about it now. It's why the death of your wife shouldn't have
2: come as a surprise. (laughs) I think we all saw that coming. And also this, the chip.
0: (laughs) Yeah. One thing that it does is give you perfect memory, like you, you can live inside your memory, and... It's, it's so good that you won't even feel like your wife is gone because you can go back to any experience of her as though it's the present whenever you want.
2: I feel like this is hell for most people, <laughs> especially <laughs> a, a friend of DeSoto, enthusiastic about just the general idea of... Shame and embarrassment or regret. (laughs) Like, imagine the ability to live in those moments forever, anytime you wanted.
0: I'm just reliving the time I had to tell a kid that my name wasn't Wesley over and over and over again.
2: With perfect clarity, as if you're living that moment.
0: Yeah. But Boone is living a much cleaner lifestyle than either of us. So he really wants this. He wants to go back to having his wife and... So he's like, okay, well, I'm going to give it some serious consideration, but I got to go. And he gets back on board this spaceship and Lily's like, hey, so uh, there's somebody else that you might like to meet before you go back to Ohio. What a reveal. <laughs> he would like to party and drink beer with you.
2: <laughs> Boone, Boone's still like, I'm, I'm, st- I'm still not getting it. What? <laughs> you know, you both enjoy bowling. <laughs> <laughs> at lucky strike and keeping an open mind. Yeah. <laughs> you remember college? Yeah. With Eddie? It's your choice.
0: Then let's go. They go to see Eddie and now we're back in that theme bar and it's a lot more happening. There are women in lingerie who seem to be servers.
2: Girls just don't stand around naked.
0: Oh uh, yeah, they do. Okay. This is my story. Do you want to hear it or not? It's got like a kind of cyberpunk, you know, there's lots of like Japanese influence on everything, kind of vibe. I didn't notice any of the Japanese lettering on the walls in the uh in the previous scenes, but they they make a point of highlighting them in this.
2: It kind of feels like what an older man's idea is of a younger man's cool place to be, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Hey, next time you go to Aqua, can I come? Yeah, maybe. Your granddad thinks this is where we hang out, you know? Right,
0: right. Yeah, like it's got all of the riz of like a franchise burger restaurant, but it's being pitched as like a seedy bar with scantily clad women.
2: Right, yeah. (laughs)
0: They go into the back and they're like, I guess in like some kind of drinks cooler based on all the like padding and reflective materials on the wall.
2: Man, I wondered that myself or if they were just using insulating material as decoration, as like futuristic decoration.
0: Oh, it's real spacey back here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Eddie is here and Eddie and Lily start pitching Boone on like, hey man, like I know that this is all really confusing and we're really sorry about Kate, but like we've got kind of an important pitch for you. And they turn and through the wall walk Jonathan Doors and Majel Barrett. Boone's like, uh that's a guy that doesn't even use doors. (laughs) Should call him
2: Jonathan Walls. (laughs) Am I right?
0: Yeah, fucking A.
2: Eddie's like, actually we're gonna rescind the offer. That was That wasn't fun. Who was that for? (laughs) Is what Eddie asks.
0: (laughs) Boone is like, oh man, I thought the only good billionaire was a dead billionaire. And Jonathan Doors is like, well, listen to this. I walked away from all of that money so that I could figure out what's really going on with these aliens that are running everything.
2: (laughs) This didn't make any sense to me. The idea that like the one way to figure out a thing is to be completely absent of all of the resources necessary to figure out a thing. Like, with a billion dollars,
0: you could solve any mystery. I don't think so. I think that this is kind of pitching a future in which a billionaire who could go on to just make lots of money and live comfortably, selflessly, Mm -hmm. sacrifices all of that to get to the bottom at who's really running things, in like the deep state kind of sense of
2: I see. And has yeah. kind of
0: become a nexus for all of the attacks of the political mainstream, but really speaks for all of us.
2: Do you have a grasp on how much time has passed since Boone's wife's death and this this <laughs> moment? Because in this scene, they tell him that the <laughs> companions killed his wife.
0: Yeah. This is like Two days later, maximum, yeah. I think.
2: Was the headstone already carved before Boone's wife died also? Because <laughs> they get that thing up fast.
0: Yeah, that's a, a real tight turnaround on that stone quarry. It does kind of look like a first draft of a headstone too. <laughs> yeah. you really sure you wanted to just say my loving wife? Yeah. <laughs> Like, let's just think about this, Boone. <laughs> There's
2: no reference to you. Like, do you want to maybe buy the plot next door and, and instead of my use an arrow point? Like, I'm with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that guy's wife.
0: Yeah. I think that there is a punch up that you could do just in directing this whole episode that would make this hang together a little bit better because this turns into kind of a pitch. Like we're gonna put the brain injection, the the virus chip that has been much bandied about into you but it's gonna be modified in a crucial way. And it's like, it's totally experimental. We don't know if it's gonna work. Like we've modified it in a way where it doesn't put you in the thrall of the talons. It just uh, gives you all of the benefits of the chip. It's all
2: upside, no downside.
0: It's all upside, no downside, and you'll be our man on the inside. And (laughs) I think that that is a thing he feels like he might be primed to buy if this actor was playing this character as a person who was in the middle of his entire life being destroyed, which it is, Mm -hmm. you know, like he's just walking around, walking into different rooms, unimpressed by the spaceship, unimpressed by... The guy he witnessed die being alive, unimpressed by his best friend who assassinated that guy, being friends with the guy who just died. There's a certain type of open world
2: video game player that proceeds through the story in a linear way. Like they they actually do the story as intended and others will go and pick up every object at the bar, (laughs) scavenge for roots or whatever. Yeah.
0: Boone is going into every room. He's scavenging every route. If I believed that this guy was like shattered to the <coughs> point of such vulnerability that he feels like the best way forward for him is alien brain injection, where it either works and he has to be deep cover in this like huge alien conspiracy to take over the world or they kill him because it didn't work and and that's what he really wants. Like that's that's what the thrust of this scene is, and it is just so hard to buy that that is what this particular guy is prepared to do with his life in this moment. You're
2: exactly right. What this episode needed was that centerpiece scene that you hire a Kevin Kilner for. That's like James Vanderbeek crying at the end of the dock when he realizes Joey and Pacey are together. Like he needs a full on fucking breakdown. And he doesn't even come close.
0: It's not in the script and it's not in the direction. They didn't make time for it. Yeah. We like basically smash cut from him agreeing to do this in this scene to the operating table inside some Talon facility. And Major Barrett is like also <laughs> under deep cover. She's the only physician in the room she pulls out a needle that is the length of a wiffle ball bat, <laughs> into his brain. Before the operating room scene, we get a scene where
2: where Boone goes back to the the guy who carves headstones, and he's like, "I'm about to go in for a pretty dangerous procedure. I think it's probably smart for me to to get something set up in the event of." And the and the carver's like, "Cool, what do you have in mind?" And he's like, "Well, I mean, William Boone, obviously." And then subtitle, you know how how you gave my wife, uh, my loving wife? <laughs> I figure for me, you could just put me. Feel <laughs> like that says it. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to go get this experimental surgery.
0: The needle going up through the bottom of his jaw was the most effective. Great choice. Grossest, weirdest part of this episode by Country Mile.
2: I love that choice.
0: Oh, it's it, like my dog ran in from the other room. Cause I made like a, a weird noise watching, yeah. <laughs> this. It was like, is everything okay?
2: <laughs> it's really effective for the budget. Yeah. It's like the cool grandpa showing the severed thumb <laughs> magic trick. You know, <laughs> like if you shoot it at a certain angle, yeah. the viewers watching the stream at home are watching me do that very poorly. But like you can pull this off practically. And when you cut away to the computer screen showing the, the virus take form in the brains.
0: Yeah, it does kind of like a weird, like, circuitous mm-hmm. path through his brain, too. You can tell this is the sort of wand that a surgeon might want to take home some nights, you
2: mm-hmm. know? <laughs> Feels like it could really wand you down.
0: Oh, yeah. Are you suggesting that the Majel Roddenberry character is, is an enthusiast of sounding?
2: I'm I'm saying her or any other professional surgeon working in this facility might oh. might just take one home.
0: Okay, it's so funny because she's like they make a big deal about the strap that they put on his head, and there's like a circular metal part that has a hole in the middle of it, and she's saying like this is going to hold your brain steady so that it doesn't like slip around in there, <laughs> and I'm like oh so the the clipcho device is going to go through that hole like that's nope. the target. <laughs> That was so good
2: (laughs) Almost instantly, Boone starts seeing memories flash in his mind Yeah And this doesn't look like a good thing to him No He wakes up like someone who's absolutely tormented by this And he's held down Like the straps aren't enough to hold him down He's held down by Major Baird and Robert Sandoval And... I was wondering, Ben, if all this flopping around was the thing to distract De on from noticing that that Dr. Major Barrett Roddenberry was was tweaking the virus. Was this cover or was this uh not that?
0: I wish I knew, and I, I think that like part of the problem is we don't see the normal version of this. Yeah. It does seem like they are really relieved when it all works out mm-hmm. and uh, pretty quickly, he's like back in his business suit and on his feet and visiting to with agent Sandoval. And they're like, Hey, like, so that was really intense, but uh, we do have a gift for you to, as kind of a consolation. If you could take off your, your suit coat, that would be great.
2: I feel like a lot of the visual language to this scene is straight out of conspiracy you know like i got this trapper keeper and there's something in it and uh i'd love to introduce you
0: come have a look i think i'll summon my science officer it won't like your science officer it does like you like the second i saw this thing i was like i want me and adam to buy the the mold of this also
2: i think i'm out of the mold business (laughs) There's
0: something so much more upsetting about
2: how this thing works. And that's really saying something when the original conspiracy bug involves like going down a throat and shooting a tail out of a neck to breathe. And the reason I'm saying that is that the tentacles of this thing are so large to just rip through the skin Yeah. is like using the blunt end of a chopstick to like, Jam into your forearm In all these places It seems Really painful And credit to Kevin Kilner This is the Most emotion He's shown The entire episode (laughs) So this thing
0: Is called a Skrill (laughs) And It's That weapon That we saw Sandoval Shooting at the building Earlier You know We don't know Everything it does yet But it uh, It communicates With the alien virus in his mind and that enables him to use it. And now he has one and it's like intertwined with his being because it's tentacles go inside his birdie.
2: He's ready for work immediately because Boone gets a call to go to a crime scene in the very next scene. He's wearing this thing for the first time. He goes out there, oh no.
0: I wanted to see like the other side of this because the call comes from his partner Mm -hmm. who was in the first scene and it's like a video call, mm-hmm. and inside Da'an's alien house or spaceship or whatever, that takes the form of looking like a bunch of like glittery light falling from the ceiling, and it's like a video projection on it. Mm-hmm. So do, do they have like a video wall at police precinct for this guy to be, like what is he looking at on the other side?
2: I mean, this is one of the technologies that this alien species gave to humanity. It was removing famine off the face of the earth, overstuffing children before sleep, turning swampland into verdant farmland or whatever, and also really awesome hollow projectors in every precinct <laughs> around the world.
0: Yeah, we're taking out the fax machines. We're putting in FaceTime, guys.
2: Yeah, yeah. When Boone gets to this crime scene, they pull the sheet off of
0: Eddie, RSVP Eddie. Oh, man. You can tell he's dead because there's blood coming out of his nose. Also, posthumously,
2: he's been fingered in the death of Jonathan (laughs) Doors.
0: Yeah. No perpetrator will go to their grave unfilled in this ideal future.
2: (laughs) They bury Eddie next to uh, Boone's wife and it just says, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) What a weird corner of the cemetery that is.
0: Yeah. Kind of confusing. It really tells a story, though, which I like. Is that what Boone's farm is? Hmm.
2: Just where where Boone buries his uh, wife and friends <laughs> until he eventually joins them?
0: Yeah, something like that.
2: Speaking of a cemetery, we're back at the cemetery where Boone's wife is buried. It's where he's taking a meeting.
0: With Lily, and yeah. uh, they've, they've both put on... Extremely late 90s leather jackets for this meeting. Did you like these? I kind of dug the wide lapels. The wide lapels are cool. Boone's doesn't look very functional. Like it's got a couple of closures, but I don't think it would like actually close Uh that well. Uh Uh-huh. But yeah, so they're, you know, they're talking about like what his role in the resistance is gonna be. And he's like, Yeah, but I'm just not sure I can trust you yet. And Lily's like, fuck you, man. I'm like the most trustworthy person you'll ever get to know. And he's like, well, then I'm excited about getting to know you.
2: Well, you mean you don't extend all of your trust toward a person you just met who just acted as your driver from place to place in that one scene.
0: (laughs) She seems really offended by this. Yeah. But also she's being so weird. She's acting very nonchalant about the fact that her comrade in this like extremely risky enterprise she's a part of has been killed. And we don't know why or, or by whom. If Lily
2: advertised, the the headstone would just say, uh, that person I knew from work,
0: <laughs> my coworker." If you got killed and there was like some indication that like somebody was coming after Uxbridge Shimoda, I wouldn't be like at the gravesite the next day. Like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, anyways, uh, we'll just have to move on from here and uh, see things through.
2: That's kind of the worst place to go if you suspect someone's trying to murder you and your friends,
0: right? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, Boone visits his second gravesite of the episode and we fade to black.
2: I think it's pretty important that you see that creepy-ass friendship bracelet on the hand that lays down the bouquet, right? I really like how elegant that is.
0: That's good.
2: It really connects... You know, my film paper goes like this, it kind of connects the two parts of his life.
0: Wow. The the pre-murder
2: of his wife and and what happens after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You like this episode, Ben? she always bring it
0: home. Oof. It's <laughs> a rough one, man. There are a bunch of seasons of this show, too. Mm -hmm. Like, I trust that it must get better because um, this felt so strained from start to finish. And it's also like a short pilot given the world it's setting up. Like, I think it does some pretty good world building overall. But yeah, like, I don't know if it's how he was directed or choices he made. But um, the way Kevin Kilner is playing this part feels like the thing that really shatters it as a compelling story for me. Because, yeah, like I said, I, I think the script gets it right in a lot of ways. Like, I was talking to our friend Chuck Bryant about writing a TV pilot. Uh, recently, because it's something that I have made an attempt at or two, and um, he's got a, a pilot that uh, he wrote. Uh, he was t- he took a, a writing class, and mm-hmm. I feel like I, I want to take a writing class now. Like I, I, you don't need a
2: writing class; just do it.
0: I know, but it's fun to have like a structured environment in which to do it. What you
2: need is an orange theory of writing classes, mm, something yeah. that just hounds you into writing.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, like I sign up for the writing class on January 1st and then I never show up, but I'm like paying for it somehow. It's like, ugh.
2: I mean, you have to give them Copper Mat.
0: Yeah. That'll keep you on your due dates. One thing we were really vibing on was when writing a story, I think it is really hard to have bad things happen to your main character. Like it, your main character is a character that you wouldn't be writing about if you didn't kind of love them in a certain way. But the goal of a pilot is to have a bunch of horrible shit before that person so that they have to struggle and strive and form alliances and grow to overcome. And that's like how you set up a show. And I think that this script does that to Boone, but the actor is playing it like a day at the office. Like, His wife dying, his entire understanding of the way the world works, like collapsing around him, getting injected with an alien virus, and then finding out his best friend dies, all goes down in this episode. And it doesn't seem to really move the needle for him that much. (laughs) And like, I know that he's kind of trying to play it as like the rugged, strong man, you know, Jack Reacher kind of guy, but boy, it just didn't, it didn't work for me. So uh, yeah, I would, I would not, uh, I'm not at all curious about watching episode two of this one, I have to say.
2: I read something that might illuminate why that is, Ben, and I'm just going to read it. The show had an unusually high turnover rate among the regular cast, partially due to contractual disagreements between the cast and the producers. Almost Mm. all of the show's major characters were killed or otherwise removed within a season or two of being introduced. (laughs) In fact, the only character to appear as a regular during all five seasons was FBI agent Ronald Sandoval, one of the show's antagonists. So I wonder if the inner lives of the actors isn't a reason you're seeing what you're seeing on screen. Like, some actors will just, do it for the love of the game or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, if you want to really get a 10 out of 10 performance, you got to take care of your people and give them a reason. Yeah. And maybe this was the sort of production I'm, I don't have any tea specifically outside of what anyone else could read online, but I wonder if that wasn't a part of it. Like, low budget, contractual disagreements, rocky production. I mean, what are you gonna get? You're gonna get two emotions out of uh out of your lead character. You gotta pay if you want any more than that.
0: Oh man, Von Flores, who plays uh Agent Sandoval also in Tech War, Tech Justice, the uh The Shatner show? Yeah, the the Bill Shatner show.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I had a hard time with this one too, Ben. I think when I think about Babylon five, I think About this show and how it looked and felt in a strange way. Mm. And Babylon 5 ended up being much better in a number of ways. But this is the sort of quality I had anticipated going into the pilot season experience. Yeah. And uh, I'm frankly surprised that it took five episodes to come up against a show like this.
0: I am too. Like this, this definitely feels like uh, the low point so far. But overall, like the the stuff we've watched on pilot season has has been more intriguing than I anticipated. So um,
2: I like the idea, like the core idea: aliens visit Earth. They're giving us all this free shit. Isn't that suspicious? <laughs> like that seems like a great fucking pitch. Yeah, I, it's just kind of a little bit of a shame that there's so much outside of that essential idea in this episode, you know?
0: Yeah, that weighs it down. Yeah. I mean, I also sort of wondered watching this, like if this didn't kind of go into the back of a bunch of somewhat unstable brains and become the seeds of QAnon-like modern conspiracy theories, because it really does hue to some of the, like, you know, aliens that are in our midst, there are lizard people running everything kind of thinking that unfortunately plagues the modern political landscape. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think we can like locate that stuff this recently in history. Like, I think that it's kind of playing on tropes that have always existed, but like, it also just was like, uh, this is kind of a, th-, you know, like it's got the same kind of premise as like V that, uh, mini from, I guess that was like the eighties. And I don't know, like, <laughs> I'm not really into that as a premise, I guess.
2: Well, I am very into going and checking our priority one message inbox, Ben. You want to see what we got over there and if those can be trusted?
0: I do. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, our first priority one message is from Mike and Mock, and it is to Kristar Shrimp Colgar. This is two weeks in a row with Mike and Mock getting a p1 very suspicious what are they really up to Mm-hmm. goes like this wow thank you for the audiobook of p making it so narrated by p himself what a great crimbus present can't wait to learn the proper way to say make it so i wonder what ben and adam will title their inevitable memoirs anyway merry crimbus and happy 2024 oh man adam if you had a memoir what would you call it Great question. Dropping the kids off at the pool, the Adam Pranica story? I hope enough
2: time will have passed that I could also name mine making it so. Mm. That sounds like a good one, right?
0: How about just making it with Adam?
2: Mm. Yeah. I haven't thought about it. Yeah. I hope I I live a life that's memoir worthy. That'd be fun to think about. I'm nowhere close to uh, thinking about writing it though. Hope I have a little more runway.
0: Yeah. Yeah. On this thing. How about you? Give me some time, guys. I yeah, it'd probably just be called like I'm sorry or something like that. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> you know what would be a great title for
2: your your memoir, Ben, is Is It Me? <laughs> <laughs> and then you feel so bad about writing about yourself you're just writing about other people? Yeah. That works.
0: Better people out there.
2: Up next is Blake. Their priority one message is to me and you. That message goes like this. This is a plea to please consider doing some content on my personal favorite Star Trek movie, Star Trek the motion picture. You could probably do a whole Greatest Trek episode just on the sequence where Scotty drives Kirk from space dock to the Enterprise. It's about as long as an episode of Lower Decks. (laughs) Keep up the good work. I love the show. Thanks, Blake.
0: Blake did it right. Blake has ideas. I think that that's, you know, widely considered to be the second best Star Trek movie after Star Trek 5. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll get to it eventually.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we tour the movies. I don't see that being a podcast show.
0: Yeah, that would be a tour. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, one day. Yeah. We'll get to it.
2: Listen, Priority One Messages are a great way to support greatest trek you gotta believe that some of those funds go toward life extension mm. techniques for me and Ben you know yeah If you want us to live long enough to write a memoir go to maximumfund.org/ jumbotron get on the list it's fun promise hey Adam it's that Ben did you find yourself an Edward Larkin right the door. Edward Larkin. I think if you're looking for an example of why this doesn't quite work, how distracted the attention might be from making a show as good as it can be. Uh-huh. When Boone's in surgery, and you you raised the ultimate question in that scene, like if he's meant to be strapped down and immobilized, and then there's that disc over his forehead, like one would assume that that's where... Waxana's magic wand is gonna go, <laughs> but there was one aspect to that sequence that bumped me completely out of it, and that was an unsnipped thread on the belt that was wrapped around Boone's head. <laughs> Did you notice this? So, th- so this is like a seatbelt-like material. Yeah, and of in cars of a certain age, those will start to fray or get a little fuzzy or whatever, or maybe like they'll, they'll pop a thread out of the side or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There is shot after shot, extremely close up on Boone's head where you see in the strap go across and there's like a half an inch of single black thread kind of creeping into (laughs) his eyebrow. Was there anyone looking into the monitor? (laughs) No one at the monitor? (laughs) (laughs) Wardrobe, can you bring scissors to set?
0: Yeah. Yeah, those little scissors that are like, it's just like a little snip. It drove
2: me absolutely nuts that no one caught that.
0: That's crazy.
2: The big black thread and just the idea of it is my Edward Larkin this episode.
0: I was also a little distracted that Eddie's name was spelled like the whirlpool of water and not... E-D-D-I-E. It was E-D-D-Y.
2: <laughs> oh, that's nice. Named after where he was conceived. <laughs>
0: in a hot tub. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give it to the uh, the automobile assassin. I was going to give it to Boone for, like, not noticing that guy. Who just, like, he really was giving I'm here to do a murder energy when he was parked in front of the police station. He had cackling hench vibes like
2: you'd get from... Uh... From a Batman movie.
0: Yeah. He was having so much fun doing that murder. Yeah. And a maniac having that much fun just feels Edward Larkin to me. So I'm gonna give it to that guy. Kind of envious to be honest. Yeah. Seems seems nice. Yeah. Well, Adam, we got to talk about next week's episode of Greatest Trek here.
2: Can't wait to find out what that is.
0: Please. Pull us up out of this nosedive. But before we do that, i want to talk about uh, a warning buoy. Hmm.
1: Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning
2: buoys. An emergency buoy.
0: A warning buoy. This one just came in while we were recording. This was uh, dropped into our Slack by Wendy. This was an Apple Podcast review by Saku Bald. I uh, hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And mm-hmm. it is a five-star review for Greatest Trek. Headline, Oversex Darwin the Dolphin. <laughs> okay, here we go. Finally leaving a review because of a double whammy. First, was not being able to breathe when Ben and Adam were riffing on Sequest Darwin the Dolphin kinks and toward the end of the app, talking about breath play. Then, they said that they would do Babylon 5's pilot, finally, one of my favorite sci-fi shows as a kid. Hey, listen to that. We, we're getting new Apple podcast reviews from people that are enthusiastic about our pilot season project. We really appreciate everybody that leaves one of those or recommends the show on social media. And uh, if you do so, uh, you might hear your words coming out of our mouths here on the show at some point in the future.
2: I'm glad we finally did a work sufficient enough to inspire a review there. (laughs) Finally, with references to dolphin sex, we have earned this person's review and we are grateful. Thank you.
0: We sure are. So uh, next week on pilot season, we are going to be reviewing kind of a long one. This is another uh, two-parter pilot. This is from a show also from 1997 and it's available on prime video. It is, the pilot of Stargate SG-1. It's called Children of the Gods, parts one and two.
2: This may be a really stupid question, but this is a very stupid show. Is this Richard Dean Anderson's Stargate? Was was he a part of the Stargate TV show
0: always? I thought he was. Is he not? Yeah. I don't know. I'm just curious. I'm going to search Stargate SG-1 right now. Here's another
2: thing about Stargate SG-1. We were recently uh, guests on uh, Open Pike Night, and we were talking about different shows to watch oh, yeah. while we're waiting for new Star Trek. Someone mentioned Stargate SG-1 being originally a Showtime show, and there being nudity in it. Is that this? Oh. Or is that a different Stargate? Uh, Dang, I
0: didn't know that.
2: Hard to know where it originally aired, but you can get it on Prime Video now is what I'm seeing.
0: Yeah. Are you saying that we might see Richard Dean Anderson's crank in this episode?
2: Yeah. It's just covered in uh, matchsticks and a length of thread and uh, googly <laughs> eyes and like whatever household materials he needs to uh, conjure an erection.
0: Wow. I am pretty excited about this one. Sounds like this one may have been rescanned to HD. I'm seeing that there are Blu rays of it.
2: Oh, I hope so. That would be nice. That'd be a nice palate cleanser.
0: Yeah, that would be great.
2: In the definition.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. That'll be next week on Greatest Trek. And in the meantime, we're going to let Wendy take it from here. Take it away, Wendy. Thanks, Wendy.
1: Greatest Trek is an expert Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, It's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Next week on pilot season, it's Stargate SG-1. The two-parter is called Children of the Gods, and you can join weekly watch parties and chat with other FODs on board the USS Hood Discord at drunkshimoda.com. Thanks to Adam Ragusia, who composed the theme music for Greatest Trek. You can find his YouTube cooking channel and podcast by searching for Adam Ragusia. Thanks to Nick Dittmore for creating the show art. And thank you to Bill Tilly, who manages all of the At Greatest Trek social media pages. You can find and follow those and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you post about the show. Thank you to the MaxFun members who keep this audience-supported podcast going. MaxFun Drive is coming up in the next month before we get back into season five of Discovery, and expert Shimoda could really use your support. If you're enjoying the show and you're in a position to contribute, there are great membership benefits, and the drive is the best time to join or upgrade. MaximumFun.org slash join. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek.